0: Welcome to the Talking Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining me once again. So my guest today is a viticulturalist and agroecologist and the managing director of Redelec Viticulture Proprietary Limited. She is a member of the International Organization of Vine and Wine Viticulture Commission. She is also part of the reference group for the Agri Futures Rural Women's Award Alumni South Australia Reference Group and is part of the Australian and New Zealand Grape Grower and Winemaker Journal editorial panel. Can I welcome to the podcast, Dr. Mary Redelick. how are you, Matt?
1: I'm good, thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. And hi to all your listeners. It's great to be here. Looking forward to our discussion today.
0: Oh, look, I appreciate your time. So can you give me a bit of a sense as to how you got to the work that you're doing now and how that links to your leadership and its beginnings, please.
1: Sure, happy to do that, Eric. As you mentioned, I currently work as a viticulturalist and agroecologist. So that's my way of blending my knowledge of growing wine grapes with environmental stewardship principles. And my business, Ritalic Viticulture, offers a wide range of services throughout Australia. I live in the Adelaide Hills on a small vineyard and apple orchard, and I've got lots of native plants in So I'll elaborate a bit further about why that's I feel that's important. But my, I guess my background is that I grew up on a fruit block in the Riverland of South Australia. We grew wine grapes and table grapes and dried grapes and also apricots and pears. And uh, I probably took on a lot of responsibilities from a relatively young age, helping to manage the land, pick and process produce and get it off to market. Uh, And if I look over, you know, probably the last 30 years or so from leaving home at the age of 16 to study to become a park ranger, I was compelled to develop resilience and find solutions pretty early on, including embracing a career change, which has now come full circle. And there's aspects of leadership, I think, that were intrinsic as a part of many of these roles that I took on, perhaps rather than me thinking I was, you know, leading change, that just happened naturally as a part of those positions. My first full-time role, once I completed university with qualifications in ecology and natural resource management, um, involved doing conservation and coast care activities, leading a program called LEAP, or Land Care and Environmental Action Program. Um, And that was really stewarding um, long-term unemployed youth, um in an area called, uh, around port elliott in south australia uh, and i was about six months older than the eldest participant so that threw up a few challenges i was teaching the participants um, new practical skills but i was also responsible for potentially docking their pay if they didn't attend so it was a pretty careful balance of friendship or mentorship but also keeping those clear boundaries And when that contract ended, um, I didn't have a job to go to, so I created one. I started volunteering my time cleaning out filing cabinets at the local TAFE college. I said, you know, I can drive a bus. I've got horticultural skills. Will you give me a job? So they did, and I went on to help start viticulture and wine studies course at Ongaparinga Institute of TAFE when I was 21. Uh, I was lecturing to a diverse group of students, mostly men, in a wide range of age and educational levels. So there were busloads of people from all walks of life I was taking out to vineyards to show them practical skills. Pre-vocational school leavers through the retirees that I taught all aspects of vineyard management. Um, And I went on to run a national extension program called Research to Practice for the CRC for Viticulture. But my real passion was getting back to the land. And it took nearly a decade of that practical experience that I'd gained teaching and four tertiary qualifications, including a teaching degree and graduate qualifications in viticulture, before I could secure a vineyard management position. So at 29, I was managing a team of men overseeing about 110 hectares across the three locations. And one of the first things I did was consider how we could run the vineyards with an environmental stewardship focus. And we set about planting an average of 4,000 native and sectary plants each year. And I'm pretty passionate about these plants. They're naturally adapted to our perhaps hot Australian climate, and they provide a multitude of ecosystem service benefits. They provide habitat for insects and spiders, also microbats, which can eat half their body weight in insects every night, lizards and insectivorous birds, and they all help provide biocontrol of insect pests in vineyards. So I'd like to think this vision was well ahead of its time. And it was just intuitive to me because my background was in ecology, so I could see that there was natural benefits. But I was really shocked when the vineyard changed hands and I was made redundant. I was told that the plants had been sprayed out because the owners didn't understand the benefits of ecological restoration, which is now being hailed as one of the most effective ways to combat climate change. So that was probably you know, one of my earliest leadership opportunities, but also challenges. I then went on to become a viticulture consultant, working for a national horticultural firm. And I started my own business, Retailic Viticulture, in 2009 during the GFC. And I was, on reflection, pretty grumpy about my experience previously at that vineyard and the fact that all those fantastic native plants had been sprayed out. And I thought, well, I'll go and do a PhD just to demonstrate, you know, the, further demonstrate the benefits from a scientific perspective And that's then allowed me to share these insights via a national land care funded program called Eco Vineyards, which I've been running over the last three years. And that's helping growers um, grow resilience in production systems and future proof production. And listeners can find out more about the Eco Vineyards program on Facebook and Instagram if they're interested. Um, I've also been involved. Uh, in a range of leadership programs, which started for me when I was in my early 30s, a Pathways to Leadership program through the Department of Agriculture, a Wine Sector Future Leaders program, and I was also a participant in Course 15 of the Australian Rural Leadership Program. Um, And more recently, in 2012, I was involved in the RUDIC, which is now AgriFutures Australia's uh, Rural Women's Award as a state and national winner. And there's been a few other highlights along the way as well. I was um, an inaugural participant in the National Farmers Federation's uh, Diversity and Agricultural Leadership Program, which has just had its five-year anniversary, a recipient of the Gourmet Traveller Wine Len Evans Award for Leadership, uh, and earlier this year I was included in the Australian newspaper's inaugural list of 100 green power players. I'm also a mentor. I think it's really important to give back on the Drought Resilience Leaders Mentoring Program. So Sophie Millick from Coldale Walnuts is a current participant in that program and I get a tremendous amount out of being a mentor. And I do that regularly um, on an informal basis as well. Um, And I've sat on a role of international advisory panels, national boards and steering groups over the last 15 years. Probably in the early days, there weren't many women. I was often one of the... uh, um, youngest in the room as well um, and I guess throughout this time there's a few themes that have emerged for me um, I made my own luck which I think is preparation meeting opportunity I'd done the prep and I was I had the skills I was ready to go when those opportunities presented I found not only mentors who are really good in terms of challenge doing in a safe environment but also sponsors and they're people importantly that can open up doors to opportunities and when you know, the barriers emerged, I just uh, forged a new path, um, often that involved treading new ground. And as a professional, um, there's also been lots of personal challenges along the way. When I was 30, I nearly went permanently blind. So over the course of a year, I had to seek medical treatment. And that was pretty tricky just to be able to keep my job and my eyesight. But it's, you know, taught me some really important lessons as well, that managing healthy boundaries is really important, achieving that work-life balance to avoid burning out. They're probably lessons I've learned, you know, the hard way. So that gives you just a little bit of an overview, perhaps, Eric, of what's brought me to you today.
0: Almost forgot to ask you the next set of questions. I'm thinking, uh, what, what what can I ask in that that uh, shopping list there of the things that you've done? That's awesome. It's an interesting array of uh, positions from uh, working for yourself to working with others and um, being recognised for the leadership role that you're playing and. Although I don't ask, I used to ask about the mentoring side of things, you've kind of answered that question for me in in the introduction, that That's really good. And the fact that you're looking to give back uh, is a great thing as well, because um, everyone has issues on the come up if they want to take on leadership roles and having someone to mentor you to be a... um, a sounding board of, of uh, truth and maybe some um, constructive feedback, not destructive feedback, is is quite a good thing to have. So, look, I appreciate that, that introduction. So you've given some hints at what you think leadership is, so I'll ask you more formally, how do you define leadership?
1: Um, I've thought about this quite a lot over the years and um, my views have probably, you know, evolved as I've changed in my leadership journey as well but for me now strong leadership's really grounded in generosity uh, integrity trust um, but also maybe this is a more feminine trait kindness and compassion and I think these a mix of these attributes is needed to make uh, an enduring connection and also to be an effective influencer and I think women are working to their strengths and leading on their own terms more so now than ever before and I think we do do things perhaps um, differently just inherently we have different skill sets Um, and now's a really great time to celebrate these differences and I think challenge the status quo to accelerate positive change and I think on a personal level it's important to never underestimate the difference that an an individual can make many people would be familiar with the Margaret Mead quote uh, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world and I think indeed uh, it's the only thing that ever has so yeah I think it's really important to have a, a diverse range of skills and to be able to you know employ them at the right time in different situations.
0: Yeah thank you for sharing that it's It's consistent with the definitions i've I've been hearing from other people that I've spoken to and and there's never a right answer to this. My, my definition's a little different, but you know the qualifier there is one's not necessarily. Or ever better than the other, because I think leadership there's a degree of subjectivity as to what one leader believes is critically important versus another. So it, it's interesting that the list of those things that you gave out is very much about being people, people-focused, and that's what I think at its core leadership is, because you're dealing with people. If you're not leading someone, then you're not you're not doing leadership. You're doing something, but it's definitely not uh, leadership. So no, appreciate you sharing that. So uh, as a segue into the next area. Given your background, you've probably made hundreds of decisions as you've gone along. And I don't lay claim to the following, but this idea of leadership being a lonely road is it that, or is it as lonely as you make it, Mary?
1: I think there's always going to be pressure points in leadership where, you know, you're, if you're in a position of authority and, you know, you're working in. Uh, a situation perhaps on a board where you know you're you're dealing with highly confidential you know questions you know it can feel quite lonely at times I've been running my business now for the last 13 years but I'm still in a minority if we look at the stats women comprise about 41 percent of the agricultural workforce but only 18 percent of management roles and if you can believe this it's only 2.3 of CEO positions in the ag sector So we've still got a long way to go and um, I heard this quote recently which said that women are judged on their past performance but men are judged on their potential. So this probably rings true for me. I work in a male-dominated sector uh, and female viticulturalists make up less than 10% of the team. So I've personally felt that I've had to consistently prove myself over and over even though I've got a proven track record which includes numerous tertiary qualifications and you know, nearly 30 years of practical experience, um, both within Australia and internationally. So I think it's important to break through this perception of, well, it might be unconscious bias, but it also might be conscious bias to create a more equitable environment for growth. And it's important to know, I think also uh, that this isn't just a women's only problem, but it's an opportunity for workplaces and communities to ensure better outcomes. And embedded within that, I think it comes back to culture. Like to talk about culture in two different focus areas. You know, if we think about human culture, sometimes it's the conditioning that, you know, we often do more of the same and expect a different outcome. And you may have also heard, you know, people quote, if we do the same thing over and over with an expectation to get a different result, then that's the definition of insanity. (laughs) But I also like to think of, I guess, using an ecological analogy, the importance between a a polyculture versus a monoculture. Uh, And the diversity, the need for a diversity of thinking in the way in which we approach things from a a human centric or a biocentric viewpoint, thinking about ourselves or the earth, but also in terms of land management practices. So, you know, if we look at what happens on the land, uh, monocultures are fragile and poorly buffered system where problem weeds and insects often dominate and we need to intervene regularly to, you know, produce the desired crop. Whereas a polyculture with good functional biodiversity and soil health has greater resilience, it can rebound more quickly after disruption and it's able to self-regulate with less intervention. You know, within that scenario, growers could potentially save less time, uh, save time and resources. So I think the same rings true for leadership. Um, You need a diversity of leaders who each bring a different perspective to the table and resonate, you know, with a broader base. And we need to get away from groupthink and doing more of the same. So um, I've learned um, it's not necessarily, you know, what you know, <laughs> but it's also who you know. So we need to use those networks. I wish it wasn't that way, but um, and I think it's maybe changing, but, you know, I think, you know, if we're talking about the elephant in the room, that's been my experience. Uh, and I also think that time's one of the most valuable things that you can give, so we need to spend our time wisely as
0: well. We could go down the rabbit hole with that one. But yeah, I, I don't know where to start with that other than to say you have to have the conversation around what does it mean and why does it suck that that's the situation that is there. And um, those conversations definitely around what leaders think of that as an issue. So if if your statistics are true, and I have no doubt that they are, the particularly the one around uh, ten under 10% of um, viticulturalists are... Uh, those in the viticulturist sector are women, then why is it a, a 10 90 split? But how, how did we, how did, how did that happen? And how do you make change in that? And that I guess is mirrored in other industry sectors. And, and again, we could get down a rabbit hole with that without losing pace here, because I'm very interested in this next section uh, from you about what, how you view the following. Measuring success. Now, you, you talked about being a mentor and in my mind, being a mentor is a massive measure of success if you're willing to give back. But as a leader, are there other measures of success outside of the KPI of making money that are important to you, Mary?
1: Oh, absolutely, Eric. I think for me, when I think about measuring success, I focus my efforts on influencing to try and create positive change. So I measure that success by my capacity to create a flywheel that generates its own inertia. So creating a structure and people that'll continue to work after you've, you know, that'll that'll continue your work, uh, perhaps once you've moved on to do something else. I personally really value watching people not only reach their full potential, but then exceed my expectations. So that's a, a real feature of Mentoring for me, and I just see it happen time and time again. So it's just great to see that personal growth in people. And I think it's important to know where you're heading and to measure a decision by its capacity to take you nearer or further away from the goal. I guess, you know, a changing view of the world as well and, and thought processes. I read something recently which really resonated with me happiness is the new rich, inner peace is the new success, health is the new wealth and kindness is the new call. So I quite like that. And I recommend gravitating to where you're valued um, to find your tribe or create one (laughs) if there's not one readily available. And to surround yourself with the right people, you know, back yourself and work to your strengths and, and tread your own path as
0: well. Yeah, words of wisdom. Creating your own tribe, I think, is often difficult, but I reckon we've got those networks out there. You just don't call them that. So for example, and again, I'm sorry to harp on about mentoring, but I think it's quite an important thing. I also see a lot of value in peer networks, which is a form of mentoring as well, because I know that the mentoring-mentee relationship has a certain dynamic, but If you've got people that are at level with you in a peer group that can also give you feedback about what it is that you're doing, I think that complements any mentoring relationships that you might be in. And I've I've always had informal mentors throughout my career. And I've I've never sort of dipped the toe into something more formal just because it's not it wouldn't gel with me. But I think any way you can capture that and be a mentee as well as being a mentor I think uh, living both sides of that street is important to make you a better mentor if that if that is something that um, that you you want now you you've you've given major hints as to what you believe are, are key leader capabilities and Mary why I ask this next this next theme this next area of, of my podcast guest is, I personally have a a set of capabilities that I think are critical for effective leadership. I've never made any claims that what I think are key leader capabilities are the only ones. The leader capabilities, Mary, that I think are critical are strategic thinking, foresight, and communications now in in addition to those three again they're not the only ones but i think they're essential if you're going to be an effective leader is in the discussions that i've been having and i'm i'm leaning more towards wanting to look at these in a lot more detail and and you've hinted at them in quite a strong way is one being a self-reflective practitioner, and not only being able to do that, but being able to take feedback if you're looking at what your practice looks like. And then number two and number two, the other one, the, the alternative uh, capability in my mind, is around dealing with complexity. So we are, we are asked more and more to make decisions around a complex world that isn't getting any easier to navigate and in fact, is becoming uh, more complicated, uh, demanding more quick, decisions from people on a regular basis. And I, it's it's blowing my mind that this is coming out in all of the discussions I'm having in one form or another, someone's throwing out a nugget of wisdom saying this this is complicated and we need to be able to deal with it. So that's my thinking around this and it needs to develop over time. That's my perspective. So for you, Mary, what what for you critical leader capabilities?
1: Eric, I think you've hit on some really important capabilities. And I think it's also really important to be open and accessible at all times. And I couldn't agree more. We need to expect and embrace the unexpected. <laughs> it's the only certainty in life at the moment. But if I was going to elaborate on a broader set of capabilities, they're probably just general traits or behaviours, perhaps. I'd say things like build others up and give back it's important to be seen and heard so others can I guess you know have ac- access to you know fantastic opportunities that are out there and for me that's around STEM science technology engineering and maths but it's agribusiness and prime production sectors as well uh, rather than this concept of networking a friend of mine Pat suggests that we net weave instead so perhaps again a more feminine approach and to continue and expand and nurture uh, and use those networks you know making sure that you're aware of and putting your hand up for opportunities uh, but I think you know we get the best outcomes you know when we've got both men and women involved in that decision making so we need to make sure that we've got the right people in the decision making table you mentioned about mentors and you know I've mentioned about you know mentors who can challenge you in a safe environment Um, But quite often we don't talk about sponsors and they're the people who can help share their networks and open up those doors uh, for advancement. So I think about both mentors and and sponsors. And I think, you know, just having a think about why you're in a leadership role in the first place is really important. So I think it's important to really follow your passions and make sure that the opportunities um, that you pursue are aligned with your own personal goals. And, you know, sometimes it's important to ask, you know, is it in my best interest? And it's okay to give ourselves the permission to say no, which I like to think is a complete sentence. You don't need to qualify. And that's around, you know, creating healthy boundaries and giving yourself the permission to put your needs first. So I think, you know, in order to be an effective leader, we need to also take time out to reflect and recharge, look after our health. It underpins everything that we do. And just always be passionate with a purpose and be generous and, you know, have fun in those, in those roles as well.
0: You've helped me make my point that although my list is my list, it's not the definitive list. It's not the only set of capabilities. But yeah, the the other capabilities that you mentioned are around the, the people element is important. But I, I would have to say all of these capabilities that we've discussed and others that you can add to the list all have a people element in them. So if you're looking to possible futures, you want to take people with you. So people are at the core, I think, of visioning whether it's for for a profit or a not-for-profit space, for whatever space that you're working in, it doesn't have to be in your chosen career, it could be for a school, it could be for a community group. You're doing it because you want to help move people with you to a certain point in time. Things like being a good communicator, you could have the best plans in the world and you could see a hundred different futures, but if you can't convince people or sell them the business case to move from A to B, you're not going to be effective as a leader. And, and I think for me, it's starting to drill down to what are going to be the choke points that delineate an effective leader from a, eh, a meh leader, someone who's who's nominally that. I think the best leaders that I've encountered in my professional life have learned from mistakes, have tried things and have got better as they've gone along. And if you ask them to give you the, the formula of, the art of being a good leader is something that you develop until you're no longer in the world of work. I think it's it's an ongoing discussion. And one element of this discussion that's fallen away in a couple of my podcasts, and that's, it, that's to my detriment because I haven't followed it up, is this idea about wanting to be and actually putting into practice, being a lifelong learner, if you if you don't have a passion to learn things and you don't want to take on new information, you're going to get stuck at a certain point in time. And we've met those leaders in our travels. They can't morph out of previous thinking. And that that's to the detriment of industries, to the detriment of, of businesses. And it's worthy of discussion, but not now, because this is about you, Mary. The nature versus nurture question, are leaders born or are they made?
1: I think there's probably some hereditary traits that mean that some people are hardwired to leave um, but I think you know there's a lot of nurturing involved and sometimes and learning uh, I really like the point that you made Eric about being a lifelong learner and sometimes you know that's learning and sometimes it's nurturing and sometimes you know you can be nurtured by a mentor and sometimes you've got to do that you know work yourself. but I think it takes time to fine-tune good leadership and I think also, conversely, that everyone has the opportunity to lead. You know, if they've got the aspiration to do so, and leadership also comes in many forms. So, you know, it might be mentoring someone one-on-one, that's leadership. It might be seeing an opportunity in a community and leading from behind. You know, you don't always have to lead from the front. Sometimes it does involve stepping out and being visible. And if I, you know, reflect on, I guess, what creates strong leadership for me, it comes down to probably having a clarity of purpose. So defining what you do and only what you do that you do well. Reinvention is, I think, important from time to time. Innovation, adaptability, we've spoken about. Something that gets lost, you know, from time to time. Well, hopefully it doesn't because it's absolutely important is integrity, but also self-awareness. So know who you are and what you stand for. And I think, Something we haven't talked about today, Eric, is uh, the need for persistence and, for me, importantly, grit. And grit kind of just sums up, you know, that staying power. Um, And I think, you know, sometimes it's also about being strategic and for me, that's about being strategically um, aware of avoiding blockers. <laughs> so you want to, you know, align yourself with other like-minded people who are going to, you know, be receptive to to your message, rather than pushing, trying to push through where you, you're less likely to be heard.
0: I could not disagree with that. In fact, grit has come up, uh, persistence and grit, and just sticking to it and not giving up is 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 important. I guess if you're going to to be a leader that has an impact on other people because I think leadership is also demonstrate, demonstrating how you handle things in your life and um, not, not not having that uh, true grit, not having that um, passion to get back up. Even if you've been knocked down 10 times, you get back up and you, you, you try again and you keep and you persist. And again, if you had to put a list of your 10 top leaders in the world, all of them will have that to one degree or another. And we could Maybe that's, you just give me an idea for future podcast questions about nominate a leader for me that stands out in your mind that epitomizes something like grit and determination. So I'll ask you now, Mary, do you have a leader in your, in your mind that sticks out to you as, as someone who personifies someone with that uh, grit and determination that you just mentioned?
1: I'd, ha- I'd have to really just talk about a lot of my contemporaries, uh, other women in the act sector. <laughs> sure sure. (laughs) there's a lot of there's a lot of grit and determination there and uh, I think sometimes you do need to have that staying power in order to kind of rise through that and things to kind of come full circle and to be recognized in terms of breaking through and I wish it wasn't that way like I'm really hoping in my own situation you know it took me until my mid-30s to really find leadership opportunities and develop my networks cross-sectorally and along the value chain and and nationally, and to be able to draw on, you know, that wealth of experience and, and knowledge from outside of my own sector. And I'd really like to see that next generation be able to contribute a whole lot sooner. And I think that's happening. You know, I think there's been a bit of a generational gap and a skills gap as well. You know, over the last 10 years, we're starting to bridge those gaps and we're starting to see that flow of the next generation coming through. Um, so I think things are changing and hopefully, you know, it's not going to be just as reliant on that stick, sticking and staying power for so long to kind of come out the other side, but that we're going to value um, that diversity of knowledge and thought and, and uh, d- background experience so much sooner so that we're, we're all going to benefit from having really influential leaders uh, rise through uh, at a much younger age.
0: Wise words indeed. So Mary, final topic area, looking back on your leadership pathway, what would Mary say to a younger version of herself about being a more effective leader?
1: I think sometimes we forget to create healthy boundaries between, you know, work and and personal life. So I think always be grounded in, you know, your number one priority, which is making sure that you're okay. Because if you're okay, you can give back. But, you know, if if you're not, then things start to fall, you know, apart pretty quickly. And like I mentioned before, Eric, I think focusing your energy on those that are keen to hear your message rather than those that aren't and those that aren't may come around when they see the critical mass of people and practice change but if they don't that's okay too <laughs> so yeah really focusing on you know the tribe that's really keen to to hear your message because you're going to you're going to move forward and make inroads a whole lot more quickly and also valuing your time otherwise no one else will so sometimes i think you need to put your hand up for opportunities while you're you're learning and you're building, you know, your networks. But there comes a time where you have to make a, a judgment call not to give away all your time and IP for free. So, you know, make sure that, you know, you're putting a value on that time and setting clear boundaries so that others know, you know, that you're happy to be involved. But, you know, you would also uh, appreciate remuneration. Um, and also, you know, we can't have a conversation about women and leadership perhaps without talking about ways that we can really move that dial And there's been, you know, a lot of discussion around quotas and it's quite a divisive conversation quite often. Um, But I think the reality is to balance businesses, we need to overbalance towards women. You know, the playing field isn't equal or equitable. And sometimes quotas are the fastest and the surest way to achieve. Uh, equity sooner so I always think a vote against quotas is a vote for a hundred year plan like who wants that (laughs) in my experience you know even with quotas and with a focus on merit women still get overlooked and it goes to the core if you can't be it if you don't see it so I think we need to set goals and strategy um, otherwise you know all you're left with is wishful thinking And, you know, I guess from a a bit of self-reflection, I'd have to say I'm probably a recovering perfectionist. I've learned that good enough is quite often good enough. (laughs) No one notices. And it helps remove a bit of that self-imposed pressure uh, and unrealistic expectations that we can put on ourselves sometimes. So, yeah, I think within all of that, remember to strive and strive high, but also to slow down and to do what you love as well.
0: Yeah, could not agree more. The that that issue of self-sabotage. I think that is a cross-gender issue. You know, leaders in multiple fields often second guess themselves. And um, you know, there's nothing wrong with striving for perfection, but sometimes you just have to let some shit go. <laughs> and um hope hopefully uh you've got people around you that'll help pick you up if you need to, if you've made a mistake. And there's nothing wrong with making mistakes or or at least um having a go. And um that that's come across quite strongly in, in our discussion today. Mary, there has been an amazing chat. Thank you for giving me your time. Now, before we go, you, you do run a consultancy in the viticulture sector. Can you give us a bit of a plug for what it is that you do and how people can contact you?
1: Yeah, sure. I um, run Ritalic Viticulture. The website is biti.com.au, but I'd love for people to actually check out what I'm doing in the Uh, eco vineyards program space so um, google eco vineyards there's 43 demonstration sites we've set up across south australia demonstrating ecological restoration there's lots of information available on the wine grape council of south australia website Um, lots of fact sheets case studies and we provide updates um, on a weekly basis on the social media feeds on Facebook and Instagram. So there's something in there for everyone. I'd love for you to come and join us along the journey to find out how some of those practices can be uh, used cross-sectorally in, in other um, industries as well.
0: Thank you, Mary. I'll make those, those website links available to people to go have a look and I, I'm more than a little interested, so I'll go in and have a look myself. So thank you for your time. For those listening, this has been Talking Leadership. Thank you for following the podcast. Stay safe and we'll catch everyone on the next podcast.